All right. Well, uh, we have our study uh, on this topic of lying and the truth. Uh, I'm telling the truth. Uh, that's where we are. Um, but uh, someone did ask is to where, where we are or the question of when. When are we going to conclude our study of the Proverbs? And the answer to that is yes. And uh, any other questions that you have uh, today? Uh, but I'm not quite sure uh, when we'll end. T typically when I'm working through something more of a, of a theological theme, um, I, I can typically figure out when we're going to end. But uh, I've tried to be more fluid on the study of the Proverbs, which may be either wearing you out or you may be enjoying it. I don't know which, uh, but it seems that in working through the Proverbs, there's sometimes where we just need to, just need to park for a while. And, and look at uh, certain proverbs and themes that come from that. And so, uh, but we are, I would say, at least three-fourths the way through this study, if not more. And today we'll look at part three. And uh, But let me go back to, to last week. If you were not here last week or you were not able to, 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 to catch the video of last week, what we looked at last week was how should we think about God's revealed word of truth. And, and we should think about God's word of truth uh, as uh, proving in itself uh, God's word is its revelation. Uh, we do not depend upon uh, the revelation of God to be proved externally, but rather it is in itself truth. And so it is self-proving. So also it should not be added to. We should look to the Word of God and as we study it, as it is preached, as we look to it to guide our, our lives, uh, we should look to it and not seek to add to it. Uh, what does God think about lying? Well, we looked at that, and just as, as to, to re, you may recall that, and I brought this up several times, in the Proverbs we see the Hebrew translation of the word that is translated. Do you, do you hear something? Yeah. What, what was that? Okay. Uh, huh? Oh, a cart. Okay. It sounded like a car or some, some kind of engine. Um, that uh, we see the Hebrew word translated as a verb, hates, as well as the noun form, an abomination. Um, those are the same root, and we see it translated into English here, God hates lying. So if God is the truth, and if He hates lying, what does this teach us? What should we learn from this? Last week we saw that we should hate falsehood. We should speak truthfully. We should know the inestimable value of telling the truth. We should listen for and to the truth. And we should live a life characterized by the truth. And so... These are the things that we find taught to us regarding the truth within Proverbs, or at least as I have organized them into this outline. So, where are we today? Where does this put it? Yes? Well, the root of truth, I mean, of lies, is Satan, because Jesus said he is the father of all lies. Of lies, that's right. So, Well, undoubtedly, especially when we think about that Satan was the tempter, our fall, so our very sin nature, our flesh, as I said, typically you've heard me say it a hundred times, is a lot of people will say, oh, the, you know, the demonic activity of going on, and I'm like, well, yep, but your flesh is with you everywhere you go. 
which the fall produced by Satan is a casualty of that. And so our sin nature is the driving force that we see within our temptation to lie. Uh, we don't, you know, we, we don't need Satan to be anywhere present uh, for us to be tempted to lie, right? Our flesh tempts us to lie. So also, our flesh will keep us from telling the truth, knowing the truth, living the truth, so forth and so on. So what I want to do today is I want to shift the perspective. I started out the beginning of the study in the last two weeks at focusing on the truth, now talking about the liar. What does lying tell us about the liar? Now, Again, as I have said through this study, oftentimes the sage will emphasize the negative. Many of the Proverbs, I would say most of the Proverbs, are actually negative in their statement. We need to learn from that. Just because a proverb is stated negatively does not mean that it is not teaching a positive truth, right? So, so many of these things, we are to look at the liar, not for us to go, oh, you know, those bad liars, you know, those, those people, right? No, the point is for us to examine ourselves and to see oftentimes within the Proverbs, the contrast of the black and white contrast is meant to not only characterize someone who is characteristically not a truth-teller, but also to show to us, are there areas in my life where I need to be more truthful, or I, not more, I need to be truthful, or are there areas where I may have formed a, a habit? Uh, oftentimes, uh, we'll, we'll see this in, our, in our, ourselves as falling into the habit of the white lie, Right? You know, it's not really the truth, but it's really not lying. And all of these sort of subtle ways in which we'll seek to justify uh, pushing back against the truth, well, we're going to look for these. We're going to look for these as we work through what characterizes a liar. Look at number one. Or what does lying tell us about the liar? Number one, it tells us that he is hiding hatred, that he is hiding hatred. Look at this proverb, or actually these two, Proverbs 10, uh, 18, and 26, 28. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Now, in the parallelism of this proverb, we see that this is not, as we studied before, this is not an antithetical parallelism, isn't it? It is a truth about the liar, but from two different perspectives. The first part, what does it mean, the one who conceals hatred? What does it mean to conceal hatred? does it mean to conceal hatred? Just to, Again, this is just a, a real basic, we're not going too, too deep here. Someone who conceals hatred is, is, is what? Is a phony? Is what? Well, yeah, they're, they're uh, presenting themselves to be something that they're not. Exactly. So they, they hate you, so to speak, internally, but on the outside, it's, a, it's an aspect of superficialism, right? They're, they're superficial. That something is inside of them, something in their heart, but they're presenting to you something differently. And then, has lying lips. What's the connection between this superficial 
hatred, the superficial uh, love or truth or whatever the case is, and the lying lips. What's the connection? Yeah, JJ. Okay, that's a good point. They could be a user. It's uh, someone who is, uh, conceals hatred inside, and uh, to a certain extent they may flatter you or, or whatever the case is, but really they have an ulterior motive to use you. What else? What else is the connection here between concealing hatred and lying lips? That's right. That's exactly right. So to a certain extent, when, when someone flatters, and we talked about this before under the topic of flattery, it immediately causes you to discredit everything else that they're saying. Also, what it does is it shows that someone who is characterized by lying, either by virtue of flattery or just simply not telling the truth, that it tells us something about themselves internally. And, and, and here's the main point. Here's the main takeaway. If I lie to you, it means that I don't genuinely or I'm not genuinely practicing love toward you. Think about that. To tell the truth to someone is to love them. And we've all dealt with this before with people we love. With, with someone we, we love and we know that we need to talk to them about something. And there's something that's weighty, and it's on our mind, and it just, it's like a burden, isn't it? It may keep you up at night. It may be something that, that, that you just wrestle with over and over. But you know, you think about a very good friend of yours, and you know you need to talk to him about something. And then when you do, this weight is lifted. The relationship builds. Your friend knows that you love them because you're talking to them about them about something of, of substance, of weight. Well, if you think about that in your own life and then think of the opposite of that, a liar does not love you. A liar, in fact, may tell you. And they may act like, oh, I'm, I'm your best friend. Oh, I just love you. Oh, I respect you. But we know these people, right? Maybe not on the front end, but eventually it comes out and we find out, no, I know that you're a liar. The second half, the second clause, whoever utters slander is a fool. That's one of those um, Captain Obvious statements of the Proverbs, right? There's not something too, too deep here for us to dig into other than the fact of the coupling of slander with Hatred and lying lips. What could the connection be? We, we know this person's characterized as a fool, right? Duh. But what's the connection between slander, hatred, and lying lips? Isn't it the truth? In the, the truth, the connection, slander is the, is the other side of the coin of flattery, isn't it? I'll flatter you to your face, I'll slander you to your back. We see here then both of those, and that, this is a beauty and the complexity, our poetic complexity of the proverb is the, the sage is teaching us here, the lying lips are the connection. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. J.D. said that, that most lies are used to gain an advantage for the liar. The liar typically will have a, an ulterior motive, even if it's self-defensive. 
right? Oftentimes lies are used in self-defense, aren't they? Did you really say that, John? No. <laughs> right? I'm defending myself, right, against your inquiry. You know, well, I mean, again, the, the general idea here is that it's revealing. And the greatest way that we show love in the context of truth is t telling the truth. Now, look at 2628. A lying tongue hates its victims. So now we see that the sage has painted an even graph, more graphic picture for us, a more insidious picture. Now the person who is lied to is what? A victim. A victim, you could think of it in the sense of someone who has been sinned against, but you could also think about it in the context of crime. A crime has been committed against the one who is lied to. They're a victim. They're a victim of hatred. Jesus says that hatred in the heart is akin to what? Murder. Here the sage is telling us that the lying tongue has a victim. And the victim is the one lied to. And look at the second clause of that. A flattering mouth works ruin. Note the connection here between lying and flattering. They are both from the same root, at least thematically, uh, in terms of lying. Flattery works ruin. What, what in general, what would be an example of that? Flattery working its ruin. I mean, think about it this way as you're, you're thinking about an, an answer. Um, what about the person who doesn't know it's flattery? You think about that before? I mean, I know a number of us have radar detectors, and, and, and someone, when someone flatters you, uh, especially in Southern culture, right, sometimes you can just take that flattery as just being nice, right? And, and, and it's up for debate whether or not that's a sin or not. It may just be a, a form of Southern hospitality. But there's the other side of it. When someone flatters you and you know they're flattering you, and you immediately now know something about that person, right? But perhaps, yeah. But what? But what about when you're flattered and you don't know it? Ever happened to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think all of us could probably go around the room when finally you get to that point in life and you go, "Oh, they didn't mean that." They, they, didn't, they didn't mean that at all. And it's funny, I, I was trying to remember if Sydney, Sydney was in here today. So I had, a, had lunch with some friends. This is not, no, this is not an example with Sydney, but I told her this. In fact, she's tired of me telling this story. But, but, and, and you're going to think this is so petty. But, but this, I thought about this in studying the Proverbs to teach this class. Is I had lunch with some, some high school friends uh, and... And, and, and you know we're we're enjoying this lunch, talking about how awesome we used to be, and um, <laughs> and there were guys I played football with, and um, so 
Anyway, we get toward the end of, of the lunch, and some of the guys that couldn't make the lunch that live out of state were FaceTimed in. And so we're, we're talking, and toward the end of this, one of the guys at the lunch says, uh, Hey, I love you guys. And I can tell by your expression this bothers no one. This bothers me because I'm like, oh, I'm not prepared to go there. Like, I'm not prepared to go there at, at, at all, you know? Like, I can count on two hands the number of people that I would say to say I love you to. Maybe on one hand. I don't know. I'm very uncomfortable with that language. And, and, so, so, we're, and, and so now they're going around, passing the, love you, man. I love you. And I'm like, I don't. I don't. I don't love you, man. I don't. Like, I haven't seen you in 30 years. I'm sure you're a great guy. I'm sure you've done whatever in life. But love? I can't go there. And it, so Sydney backs me off the cliff later. She's like, here's your problem among your many problems. She's like, words are really important to you. They're not as important to other people. They didn't mean necessarily I love you it's 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 a it's a jockish manly expression you know and I'm like does not compute can't understand and I'm, and, and, and and anyway so I'm teaching this and I'm like Scott, we want to know what did you say? I didn't say anything yeah I didn't I actually didn't didn't say anything so but and I'm done confessing this is enough. Uh, but, but whatever I was going to say was important. Um, oh, but I thought, you know, for me to have said that, that, that would have been flattery. Yeah. I, would, I mean, again, I know this is, we're, we're getting overly picky here, and you're ready for me to move on to the next topic. But I just thought, you know, genuinely in my heart, I, I, I couldn't look at somebody I haven't seen in 30 years that lives in another state and go, I love you. Um, that would be ingenuine. It would be, it would be a conflict of my personality and of, of what I believe to be truth. And so I didn't. I didn't say I love you. But, but I do tell my wife I love her. So that's the one person I tell that to. Yes? Okay, I really, I really should have never brought this topic up. I, I think it's good. I just want to say, when we say it, we're not lying. No, 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 yeah. To be, to be clear, I am trying to throw concrete blocks on top of me. I'm not casting pebbles at you. Uh, so, so I'm not putting anybody on the spot. If you want to say, I love you, man, I, I want you to do that, and I believe that you're telling the truth. For me, I couldn't tell the truth, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. You were, you were feel. I was pelting you with stones, wasn't I? And I, I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, yeah, J.D. Part of it's a language problem. I did not the Greeks have five different words for Three, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a good point. I mean, as to, in fact, 
just to chase that that rabbit. In fact, if you've if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's uh, book on the allegory of love, it actually is written only about one form of, of the Greek word love, the, the word philos from which we get our, our word philosophy, uh, which uh, also means brotherly love. Because when Lewis wrote that, he uh, had not, to my knowledge, experienced anything beyond that. And so, um, so yeah, there you go. Phileo, yeah. Yeah, brotherly love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's a way to strike this from the recording. <laughs> this needs to be struck. Okay, number two. Number two. No more examples. He is not thinking beyond the moment. He's not thinking beyond the moment. And let me, uh, in looking at this proverb, let me explain to you why I'm using that, that heading to explain him. He sa- the sage says, Truthful lips endure forever. But a lying tongue is but for a moment. Now, again, we've sort of talked about this in terms of the, the motive of the liar. He wants something from you, how it is used, how it is received, so forth and so on. But look at that second clause. A lying tongue is but for a moment. What is the general truth? What is the general point of that clause? Beyond what we've already discussed Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It, because it's not truth, therefore it is subject to change. And take this a little bit for, farther. If truth, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wax theological with you for just a moment, so, so bear with me. Because all truth is God's truth, true truth is eternal. That's why Jesus teaches us that that which is not true will be exposed in the end. But that which is true will last forever because all truth is God's truth. And if you think about that, and we live in an era where I think that it is remarkably hard, or it's at least remarkably hard for me, I can only speak for myself, it's remarkably hard for me to discern momentary truth in the moment whether it's presented through whatever form of of media exists, is remarkably hard for me to discern, is that true or false? Now, Sydney will tell you my default is I assume everybody is lying and it's all false, so that's that's the the ship I I, I sail on. Uh, So I'll just assume that it's not true until it's proven true. But nevertheless, if you think about it in terms of true truth, as Francis Schaeffer called it, Lying's but for a moment, but truth will last forever. And note the first clause now, truthful lips endure forever. That I originally read as poetic hyperbole. I don't think that that's poetic hyperbole anymore, and here's why. I do think in the sense of the lips personified within a human being lasting forever, I, I do think that that could be understood both negatively and, and uh, uh, positively, but I think in more along the lines of the truth itself, 
The truth itself does, in fact, endure forever. Well, the liar is not thinking beyond the moment. They're in the moment, and they are intentionally using that lie for whatever their purpose is. Yeah, J.D.? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, for the sake of the video, uh, uh, J.D. quoted John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus personifies all three of those. Uh, way, meaning the path, uh, the way in which we uh, are made in right relationship with God, the, the life and the truth. Number three, the liar does it habitually. The liar does it habitually. Proverbs 14.5, A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. Now, note the poetic distinction here. One, the faithful witness is, is doing what? Not lying. The false witness breathes. Now, why would the sage poetically use just a real practical verb, do, in this case the negative, do not, and use a more poetic, a metaphorical description, breathe, in the second part? Why would the sage, in other words, not just simply say, a true witness doesn't lie. A false witness lies. He doesn't say that. Now we know that's what he means, right, in terms of the character of the witness, but why would the sage use a more poetic description in the second clause? It says habitual Yeah, that's exactly right. When we think about, about breathing, I mean, it's something that we do over and over and over. I mean, how many breaths have I breathed just simply since this class started? Well, you can't keep count, nor can I, but we know that I'm breathing because I'm standing here, right? And you are too. And over and over again, that's the point. He breathes out lies, meaning that it has become such a habit to his character that the old joke is... Uh, and I got this wrong last week, didn't I? Now, I got to remember this joke, the, the joke about the politician. You, you know, and it. Yeah. Yeah, when his lips are moving. That's right. So the joke would be how do you know when a liar is lying? His mouth is open, right? He's, he's, he's breathing, so to speak. That's the, that's the general point. All right. Number four, he is deceitful. The liar is characterized by. Deceit. A true uh, Proverbs fourteen twenty five. Uh, you may also uh, read twelve seventeen and fourteen twenty five. I've not included them here, uh, but the the point is they all basically say the same thing. This proverb is teaching: a truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. There we see again the poetic verb. The sages employed this idea of breathing, right? But now we see the first clause that we learn something about the true truth-telling witness and something more about the lies of the liar. Note the first part. The truthful witness 
Uh, and again, we can use that interchangeably with the previous proverb of the faithful witness. A truthful witness saves lives. Well, how could a truthful witness save a life? He's just telling the truth. Could be. A witness, if we think about it also in the, in the sense of a, of, a, of a courtroom. How could a truthful witness save a life? I mean, again, this is, we can, you know, watch a, a myriad of, of movies, couldn't we? To see the example of uh, the dramatic courtroom scene and someone has uh, is, is presumably committed a crime and all of a sudden that one witness shows up. And it's the perfect witness, and they, they tell the truth, and the person's life is saved. And again, that sort of dra dramatic imagery is, is what the sage is using here to show us how important it is, whether in the courtroom or in our daily lives, to tell the truth. And then the second part, the, the liar breathes out, there's that verb again, breathing out these lies, and what do we learn about the lying? about this person characterized as breathing out lies. He's deceitful, so we find out a little bit more about his character. We find that there is a purpose behind the lying. His intent is to deceive, again, the courtroom imagery here. The witness is on the stand. If that witness is intending to deceive the judge and jury, they are, in fact, breathing out lies. Number five, he believes lies. He believes lies. How many of you have heard the example that that person lies so often that they believe lies? You know, their own lies too. Right? How many of you have heard that example? Well, listen to this proverb and then let's discuss it. Proverbs 17.4 An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Now, this, is, this parallel is teaching essentially the same thing except from two different perspectives. Let's talk about the first clause, but it's the second clause that deals with the liar, right? An evildoer, meaning someone who is characterized as someone who does wickedness, right? That, that's they're characterized as uh, doing evil. They listen to wicked lips. So the general idea there is this, right? As that is their heart, as it, that is what they are characterized as doing, they're also susceptible to it, right? Now, why would that be? Why would someone be susceptible to believing wicked lips? You would think that the opposite would be true, right? If they were characterized in the previous proverb as being a deceiver. The deceit means that they know the truth and they're intentionally seeking to deceive. Why would they be susceptible to wicked lips? Theories, ideas. We need Randy here. Where, where's Randy? We need Randy for our theories. Huh? 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's well put. We, we lose a sense of discernment when we become a habitual liar. We, we lose the ability. And if you think about this, think about this in your own life, okay? Every single one of us, all of us are tempted at some point to tell a lie. And when you are tempted, typically, the Holy Spirit will caution you. The Holy Spirit will convict you in the sense of you need to be aware that this is a temptation that you're vulnerable to, so forth and, and, and so on. And the Holy Spirit will typically lead you to do what? And this is all momentary, of course, right? But, but, but typically, you'll go through some form of exercise of discernment. Right? Typically, in one nanosecond, you'll have processed, you know, what are the consequences of not telling the truth? And I know not everybody goes through this, but typically, this is what happens. And, and, and we'll practice some form of discernment. If you are in the habit of being a truthful person and telling the truth, when that temptation comes along, how loud is the siren that goes off in your heart? It's pretty loud, isn't it? It's pretty loud. And you, you, you just, uh, 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 here, here it comes. And then when you did tell the lie, what happens? <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. And, and, and we'll wrestle with it and maybe we'll try to push it off and rationalize it. We're great at that, right? Well, I should have done that because X, Y, Z, so forth and so on. But there's a loud siren, I call it, of conviction. As Chris pointed out, for those who are in the habit of lying, who are characterized by this wickedness, You want me to speak up? That siren is so quiet you can't hear it. It's so soft. It's so gentle. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1 about how the conscience can be pushed down and down and down to the point in which it is suppressed. That is a bad place to be in life. That is what characterizes, in this case, an evildoer and the second clause, a liar. A liar gives ear, metaphorical, gives ear, right? Uh, gives ear, the metaphor is you're, you're what? You're, you're listening. A liar gives ear or listens to a mischievous tongue. Now, note, <clears throat> in the first clause, the weight was much heavier, right? An evildoer, wicked, there's that big word, wicked lips. And this, well, it doesn't seem that bad. What about mischievous? Somebody... We kind of think somebody's mischievous. It's kind of funny, right? What's the sage teaching us here by showing us the heaviness of what the evildoer does and, well, this little mischievousness that the liar is engaged in? Yeah. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's a great point. That's a great coupling with this. That's exactly right. Whether it is the wicked lips or the mischievous tongue, we should 
not be like the liar in believing lies, but we should develop within ourselves by God's grace the habit of discernment. I've got to move quickly. Number six, he will end up in trouble. He'll end up in some kind of trouble, right? Proverbs 19.5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. If you think about it in in this sense, even the liar who gets away with quote-unquote murder uh, in the end will in fact be found out even if it is on judgment day. Interestingly enough, we see that theme repeated in the New Testament, a a New Testament theme that oftentimes is not emphasized. There will be a judgment day, and the liar will be found out. And then 19.9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will... Did you notice everything there is exactly the same until what? And will perish. The one who is characterized by lies will perish seemingly. That could be taken as eternally, as one who is not right in relationship with God through Christ. It could also be a hyperbolic sense in that they will be found out, they will come to ruin. Number seven, his lying will not yield what he had hoped for. This sort of goes back to to, to what J.D. said earlier in that a liar has ulterior motives uh, in in terms of getting something for you. Well, look at at 2017. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. The the general idea there is is what? There is something that, that we seek to do, we seek to accomplish, and maybe lying will help us gain that, but in the end, it will not work out for us. And Proverbs 21.6, The getting of treasure by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Someone who has gained by virtue of lying, it is not to their gain. Number eight, he does not keep his word. Proverbs 25, 14, like clouds and winds without rain uh, is a man who boasts of a gift he does not have. Sydney and I were talking about this week in our Bible reading how, wow, that verse makes so much, <laughs> hits us so much heavier uh, now having gone through the summer drought and now into the fall drought. The clouds and the winds, we think something's coming, but it doesn't rain. So also is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. A man who boasts of a gift he does not give is a liar, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to go about this for your benefit and doesn't do it. Well, that's another characterization of a liar. Number nine, his lying about others renders him dangerous. A man who bears, Proverbs 25, 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Uh, that would be fun to discuss. Uh, we'll not be able to discuss it, but that you can uh, think about that in greater depth. And then finally, number 10, his susceptibility to lies renders him a prey for more. Again, this goes back to the idea of the suppressed conscience, but now we see its consequences. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. Why is that? 
If a ruler listens to falsehood, wouldn't it only affect him? Why does it impact everyone who serves in administration under that ruler? Well, true. Yes, that, 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 that is true. But in terms of practically speaking, how, how does that happen? What's that? Birds of a feather flock together, right? So an evil, someone who is, is given to evil as a ruler, he's going to put together in his administration those who would be like him of, of the same character. Another way to think of it, in, in conclusion, another way to think of it is this, is that if I were serving under someone and that someone is characterized as telling lies and that doesn't spark my conscience and cause me to go, this is not right. I, I cannot do this. I've got to expose the lies. I've got to tell the truth. That, that's what your conscience would lead you to, right? But if you are under someone who is, who, and again, this could be in business, it could be in relationships, whatever the case is, but if, if you're working or serving with someone and they're habitually lying, characterized as lying, and you suppress it, what eventually could happen to you? You justify lies in your own life. You become susceptible to lies. If you believe the person that's lying, then you're going to believe other people that are lying. And on and on, it has this snowball effect, and that's the general idea there. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all of his officials will be wicked. The hyperbole there implies that there is a snowball effect where it permeates down to all levels. Let me pray for us. <laughs> Our gracious God in heaven, we do thank you for your word. And even as we have moved hastily over these last couple of themes in Proverbs, uh, we pray that your spirit would apply them to our lives. We do thank you for the truth of your word and truth embodied in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in him and the truth of the gospel that we alone rest. We pray now that in this truth that you would prepare our hearts for worship today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.